Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. How you been otherwise? Pretty good. Not too much going on. Getting ready for some vacation coming up. So looking forward to that. How about yourself? Yes, very good. Very good. Lots of, of interesting things are happening. So that work that I was doing that we're keeping top secret is coming closer and closer to being released. So I'm quite excited about that. I've just uh, got a, one or two little last things to happen before we can start um, talking about it. But uh, I've been showing some people and getting some feedback and yeah, it's looking it's looking good. Very excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, well I, I'll obviously show you separately at some stage, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all going. It's, a, it's, it's that feeling you get just before, you know when you go on a roller coaster and you go up and you're going up and you're going up and then as you come over the thing, you just know you're about to launch. And go and you get that that feeling in your stomach. It, it's like that kind of feeling at the moment, almost every day, which is which is great. I love it. So I can see why people get addicted to starting things. Yeah. Cool. So so the one thing I thought we could chat about is I, I sent you an article on LinkedIn about the chief employee experience officer or something like that, or chief workspace experience officer, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a really cool new C-suite role, which which I'm available for if anyone wants to hire someone. But, uh, you know, and, and I think it's so relevant because of, of what's what's happening all the time. You know, if you look at, obviously, we, we talk a lot about what COVID did to change how people work, but also with, with this plethora of options to how you work and, and, and what helps you do your work and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, look at, the, look at how AI has exploded. You need almost this this additional functional view to help employees leverage this stuff. So I think it's it's the workplace, but it's also the I don't want to say work ethic or the work mechanism that needs to be factored in, which is a, is a completely different, as I've said, perspective to what people currently do. If if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does, and I think we've sort of seen experience roles within the last five-ish years really start to take hold and more positions are being made around things like employee experience, workplace experience. And I think one of the interesting things is that the sort of functional divide, these roles could be in HR, they could be IT roles, you know, this could be a natural move for someone I, you know, VP of IT, a CIO, move into this chief workplace experience role. Uh, But I think you're right with all of the changes that have happened to the workplace, as we know, rapidly within the last three years, it sort of necessitates someone whose main thing is how do we shape that experience? Yeah, and and, and my my kind of analogy, and, and this is kind of embarrassing. So in South Africa with load shedding, and the government's completely incompetent. Um, their solution was to bring in a minister of electricity 
who's really a glorified project manager. And it's, and it's really a waste of money, uh, to be fair. But the, the, the reason why I thought it was quite funny is that that's kind of what this role is in some respects. You are, you are bringing across, you're, you, you have to bring everyone together across very different things. So you have to understand all your, it's, it's, it's understanding all the business lines. It's, it's having a, a technology piece to it. It's a, there's a security piece to it as well. So you really have to be all-rounded in this role but but the crux of it is you really need to understand the people that work in the business and what they need to do in the business um so you've got to be people-centric and i think that's where why and that's why i think it's different to having like a cio or a cto or a, C, a ciso taking on this this capability i think it's it's almost like a the business person that moves into the technology world or a very business-centric technology person that moves out into this role if that makes sense I completely agree. Yeah, and, and you're right. There's there's many there's that there, there are many head of EUXs and head of workspace, um, but often those are just monikers for a an engineering person or a service person, and and I think there's that need for a a new kind of executive. Um, so I'm very excited to see how this goes, and and you know maybe in a couple of years time we we look back and see how many. Um, how many roles have been hired for this and how many companies have appointed someone for this role? Because as he said, the C-suite keeps getting bigger and bigger, which is the other thing. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but it seems to be getting more and more. Mm. Yeah, keep adding roles, but what do you think away? Well, I think the reality is there's, there's just so much stuff to do. Mm. And for for various reasons, I mean, in some respects, the amount of complexity is draw is driven by regulations and and policies and and uh, maturing of various things, and and that requires an overhead in order to handle it. So you so you have that that that, that pushes it, uh, and then also because of the way the world is globalized, and and made things complicated because you're now meeting you're dealing with the multi uh, multi geolocated businesses. You're offering services globally. I mean, you know, the internet to a large extent has driven a lot of this stuff because you can just transact with somebody in another country. It's almost the legacy of, of those countries that has created the complexity. I'll give you an, and I'll give you a very simple example. I, I've got a friend who, who's just moved from from South Africa to to Plymouth here in the UK, and he was asking me all sorts of questions. And I said, well, when you get here, you need to sign up for the Curve Card. And he said, "Well, what's the curve card?" I said, "Well, the curve card is an aggregation card. So it's a it's a Mastercard debit card, but you can put any card behind that except for an Amex. So what happens is I give my wife the curve card, and she goes and does whatever she needs to go and do. And then the transactions I just put them in the right buckets, so it goes to the right card for the right thing. So if it's a business expense, it goes to business. If it's a personal expense, it goes to the personal credit card. And you know, we've got various cards that have different mileages and you know, things we're trying to get. You know, very, you know." Or for whatever reason. And that curve card is huge for me. And and one of the huge benefits for because we travel a lot is the currency exchange is, is really good. So and and because I'm you know between South Africa and the UK, I have both my UK cards and my South African cards behind the curve card. So I can go to any place, pay for anything, and make sure it goes to the right bank account using rules. Now that kind of service or or uh technology exists here in the UK, but doesn't exist anywhere else. So it's a foreign concept when you talk to other people. But what they've done is completely reduced the complexity of financial transactions for me when I travel. You know, and, and it's a and it's a small cost 
in in you know cost me a hundred pounds a year I think for membership or whatever it is. But I get all the benefit because often the problem you have when you go into a transaction in, in a place is oh well, we don't take Amex, but you're like oh but I really want to use my Amex because I get more miles. Or you did the transaction, but your card that you had didn't have enough money in it because you've you know you, you left the one that you normally whatever you know those sort of situations you just use this card and you can just move it around and, and it's all all done. Plus I only carry one card. I don't carry seven credit cards with me or whatever it is you know, for all the stuff we do and debit cards. And then if I draw cash, the cash is still drawn out of the curve card, but it goes out of the right bank account for cash. So I'm not going to charge a credit card fee if you draw cash out of your credit card. So those sorts of things. So now if you, if I go back to before I had the credit card, the curve card, if I wanted to do something in South Africa and I didn't have money in South Africa, I'd have to transfer money from the UK to South Africa. I'd have to arrive, which would take however many days. And then I would be able to draw it out in South Africa on my South African cards because it's cheaper that way than using my British card in a South African ATM. But now I just use a Kirk card and I don't, I don't even care because it's it just it's made that seamless. Mm-hmm. Now that's in, in in sort of tying this back to my analogy around the complexity of business, for me to open bank accounts in multiple locations, it's often very difficult because of all the rigmarole, look at the compliance, all the rest of it. I mean, I had to do some certification of stuff. And that's why you need all these roles is because there's so much legacy complication. And, and I think this is where, you know, crypto and that is, as like Bitcoin made, makes a lot of sense. You take away all that complexity because you have a trusted platform that's distributed and all the, all the things that people know about, about that. And it's an interesting thing because if you look at the reason why you have all these C-suites, it's really to coordinate the people in those functions together to make the business go in, in the most effective and efficient way. And, and and that's really the point. So you could have as many C-suite people as you like, you know, obviously to level of management for the, for the CEO to manage. But in essence, they're managing towers of people to make sure that they can make things get into harmony, which is the long way I'll get to, to what I was trying to get to. No, that makes sense. And even I think like the analogy works for the C-suite, but I think it also works for the <laughs> workplace experience officer in terms of, you know, what you're describing in that, frictionless card experience, which does sound quite nice. I made the mistake recently of booking, um, I'm going on an international trip and I booked one of the hotels with a credit card that get that does an international mm. penalty for charging instead of my you know, other one that wouldn't have done it. It's just a silly thing of remembering which card does what. But yeah, it does make me think of the all the friction points in the employee experience and the workplace experience of, you know, when you are using a physical workplace as well, and that a workplace experience officer's role could be a lot of it removing those friction points so that employees don't get frustrated, their productivity is not impeded, they're not disengaging with the business because all of these things aren't building up in the background um, because no one's really looking after them from a holistic standpoint. So. Yeah, and, and 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 that's that's 100%. And I think the 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 interesting piece for me is, would you would you now have a chief AI officer, or would you have a chief? Would you keep it as a chief workplace workspace officer? Because you know, as much as AI, if you go back to what it was for most of us before uh, a lot of these services started arriving, was very much a case of what were you building into a solution to solve a problem. Was it a machine learning thing? Was it a computer vision thing? You know, natural language processing, whatever it was. But now you have a situation where you're not necessarily going to build all these services. These services are available. 
So who's going to help the business person or the business as a whole, including you know different functions, to decide on which services they're allowed to use and not use, and how do you incorporate them into the business? And and you've got to again coordinate all the things. You've got to, you know the security guys, the tech guys, the uh, the risk guys, whatever it is you've got in your business that that has to all work together. Because if one of those people owns it, then it's always going to be a, a bias. Whereas if you're just the person trying to make the business people work the most efficiently, then you kind of, I don't want to say you're independent because you're not, but you your, your focus is on the business being the best. Whereas the risk guys will be obviously more about managing the risk and the tech guys will be more about managing the tech debt and, and you know, stability and, and all those things. Um, so it, as I say, it's, it's that sort of glorified project management role in some respects, but it is about stakeholder management and, and, and driving um, things in the right direction. That's a super interesting thought in terms of who within the business is going to help shepherd sort of the next phase of AI in, because I think you're right. If it's sort of one of those groups, whether it's legal or IP or security or even, you know, other centers of the business who are pushing it forward, there's always going to be bias towards whatever is most important to them. But I think it will need someone who has that overarching view to figure out what, how it's going to work for their own business and how to take advantage of the productivity benefits without incurring the risk. I wonder how much of it, it seems like a things that a CEO could take on, right? Like in some ways the CEO could be a workplace experience officer at some organizations. And in some cases it could be a separate. Um, well, well, yeah, look, and I think that's that, you know, every business is going to have their, and, and every leader is going to have their way they want to handle it. Um, you know, and, and and most CEOs are typically, you know, aware of what they need to be aware of. But in the same token, they're not going to be driven by be too internally focused if their job is to be more externally focused. So if you're mm-hmm. if you're trying to grow the business, you know, you're going to be doing this that that sort of stuff. Um, but if you are, and, you, and that's why I say I think you need to have a person that focuses on this for the operational delivery side of it. And, and you, I'd probably argue more that it's the COO yeah. that would look at this. Um, but often the COO is already involved in so many things. And that's why you've had this, this sort of multitude of different C-level, you know, you look at how a CIO wasn't on the board for a long time. Now you're seeing CIOs on the board or a CTO mm-hmm. on the board. And typically a CTO would be on board because it's a software company. But now you're having them more often. And the CISO, the security officer, is tending to be belong under the, C- the CIO. But that's also not entirely correct because security is a – it's not just a technology thing. It's actually more a people thing. Um, so you see that come up and you get in the chief people officer. And, you know, all these things are, as you say, we're carrying more and more C-levels. Uh, and I just think it's because of the complexity of things. And I think having the this, this, this chief workspace officer might be more of a horizontal role as opposed to a vertical one where they cut across everything. You know, whereas people is, is vertical, technology is vertical, security is maybe more vertical or more horizontal, maybe depending on how you look at it. Um, I don't know. And, and that's the thing that I think the thing that's interesting, it'll come down to what kind of CEO you have and what kind of structure he or she wants to operate that in mm-hmm. um, to how it'll, how it'll manifest. And that's why we sort of wait a couple of years and see what it looks like. Yeah. So, yeah. I do wonder um, a year, two years, whenever we see the Microsoft Copilot or Google's BART equivalent really be widely available and take off in the workplace, whether 
you know, who who owns creating the rules around that and also helping you? Do you think that will be a CIO's role at most organizations? Should that be more of a workplace experience officers, like part of their purview? Um, well, see, I, I actually don't know. I mean, in in prior to COVID, I think the CIO was much, much more technology focused, which I mean, obviously makes sense. But but the, the sort of disconnection for me was the I in, in CIO was information, not technology. So you typically, are, you know, and, and unfortunately, the CTO role has been bastardized in the market because what they're really doing is trying to hire senior developers and they're calling them CTOs to get um, give them a, 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 a fancy title, but but it's actually a, it's a developer role. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of taken away the the sort of value of the CTO role in, in some cases. But you know that's just one of those things. The the thing that for the back to the, the sort of I and CIO, um, there, there was a very nice picture I saw once upon a time where the I was information integrator influencer. Uh, there was a whole bunch. It was like seven or eight different different explanations for what the I means, and that was kind of the thing. Is 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 a is a good CIO was actually doing a lot more than just technology. They were connecting the business. They were understanding the business. They were mapping business goals to where the technology strategy had just got. Very much a more strategic role than than say a CTO would be, which would be much more technical, hands on. What I saw, you know, during COVID and and now is that the CIO and and, and HR became a lot closer and facilities became a lot closer. So so you'd sometimes have facilities sitting under the COO and not the CIO, but because of the amount of technology involved in the in the in the buildings, you know, you, you know, you think about conference rooms and and yeah. all that audiovisual well, stuff. You and, the building, yeah. Smart yeah. smart buildings, smart yeah. devices in the you know, air cons, heating, all that kind of stuff. Because that IoT stuff has become so prevalent, the CIO is now getting as the as the head of the technology function is getting everything and because the people are so reliant on all the technology from phones to tablets to to the actual devices etc it was also become a, a you know a related thing and then there were cases where you know the the hr people were being put under the cio and, and that also comes down to a leadership thing if you don't have the right leader leader top of hr or people then you might have to put it under an exec that makes sense um but what I'm trying to get to is that that role has evolved dramatically mm-hmm. in the last three years. The CTO has as well, it, and I say mostly in, in, in bad ways because of, of the way some of these roles are positioned. But what I'm seeing in the market is, and I'm chatting to a lot of people about this, is a move also to more fractional executives. So instead of going and hiring a full-time CTO or a full-time CIO or a full-time CISO, you're getting a one day a week, one day a month uh, exec, and you're getting, and you're hiring the team, the operational team behind that person. Now, in that case, this, this, um, and and I think Zoltan actually positioned himself like this as the chief remote officer, I think, or something like that, where you come in and you come in on a on a part time basis to guide the business to to deal with working better using technology, and you may not need to be there. All the time, and you're really co-opting uh, a cohort of of resources from the other areas to say move the users from physical devices to virtual devices, which is a, was a common use case that I used to get involved in, uh, or do some business process reengineering. 
and 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 bringing new technology. So you know, running our new CRM, you know, which would be a a project or program run by technology for the business. But now you've actually got someone who's coming in and saying, well, let's look at how the business operates. Is this the right way for your business to operate? Let's not even worry about the technology. Let's just like if we had to re-engineer the whole thing, how would we do it? And take that that approach. Um, and run it as a program for X number of months or years, and then at the end of that, move on, um, and the business goes back to what they're doing. And then the people that were doing those other roles, you know, as, as in their functions, carry on, but they've got this dedicated exec looking at, you know, changing the business, um, with the with the understanding of all the technology available, and you know, leveraging AI and and all that kind of stuff, and and making it fit. So that's one one perspective. That's very interesting. It makes me think of um, sort of what you were talking about in terms of roles being a project manager in some respects, you know, things, I guess, needs ebbing and waning around big change transformation efforts and the need for someone to sort of own that, but they're not happening or maybe different ones are happening that require, you know, slightly different skill sets and the ability to bring different groups together, which is where maybe some of the fractional pieces make more sense well if if you look at the underlying benefit and and i'll probably close on this if you look at the underlying benefit of all these ai services that have come out the benefit that i see is i have more time to spend talking to people because i can generate content now with chat gdp i can generate nice presentations and and all that using beautiful ai and there's various i've got otter ai taking notes in meetings so i don't have to so when I talk to somebody, I'm completely engaged in doing stuff. And when I'm generating content or did whatever I'm using, I mean, I was building my website for this new product the other night. ChatGPT did most of the work for me. And all I had to do was fine tune it. Um, and if I didn't, if it, that was like a night's worth of work. If I didn't have that, it would have taken me a few nights worth of work. And that's that's where I think, and this is how the thing about understanding how to bring these things in. Like, like we haven't even talked about training or educating the end user. So now you've got all this stuff coming in. How do you get them up to speed? I mean, you'll, you'll hear in the Quinn episode, we're talking about in Muscle Bay that the sort of old people that, that don't even know how to use their phones. Now you're trying to explain to them that you've got this AI called ChatGDP that you can talk to, and it'll come back to you with content that you can use, and you could write a book in like a week. You know, Jasper AI get emails every day that write a book in a week. Um, and it's 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 completely possible because often the biggest part about writing the, the book is is not is not the idea. It's getting the page right with all the material on the page in a way that's readable and makes sense to what you had envisioned. And that takes all the time. And now if you've got something that can spit that out for you based on on a few bullet points, you know, you've just taken a, a four year thing into maybe a month, a week. A week it might be too quick, but you know, a month of 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 work is is much better. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it's the benefits are, are are there. There's obviously risks. I mean, there's a few people talking about pausing or slowing down the AI stuff. I think that's not going to happen. Um, but I think there's a level of of coaching and educating and and uh, uh, putting in some guardrails, um, which is a a very overused phrase. Um, but it's the right thing. You know, put things in the right in the right sort of boundaries. Yeah, maybe we can dig more into that next time. But super. Yeah. Your run, so no worries. Time. Cool. We'll chat soon. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. 
thank you Heather for your hard work on this episode please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store follow us on Twitter at the DWW podcast the show notes and transcripts will be available on the website www.digitalworkspace.works please also visit our website www.digitalworkspace.works and subscribe to our newsletter and lastly if you found this episode useful please share with your friends or colleagues 